Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Well, friends, we have made it to another year. Happy second day of 2019. Gosh, I hope the end of 2018 went well for you. I hope you were able to look back at what God did for you in this year. I know some of you have had super hard years. I know some of you have had the best year of your life. My hope for us as we enter 2019 is we continue to stand on the truth that God is for us and He is not against us, and that we continue to stand on the fact that no matter what our circumstances are, we can trust in the faithfulness of God. 2019 is here. I hope if you're a planner that you have spent some time sitting down figuring out what this year is going to look like for you, or if you're more like me, you kind of just take it a week at a time, no matter what. Happy 2019, you guys. Today, my guest on the show is my friend, Lisa Turkhurst. And I told you guys on last week's episode how much I adored my time with her. I really think this is going to go down as one of my favorite interviews, maybe top 10 in there. It was just a joy to sit down with Lisa, but also it was really, really encouraging to hear her talk about her hard times that she's had over the past three years. And let me tell you, if you've been through a hard time, if you're in a hard time, you're going to resonate with so many things that we talk about today. There's this messy middle place that we sometimes find ourselves in. And Lisa and I talk about this. We created this safe place to talk about the disappointment that she walked through, the ways that she still viewed God in the midst of her pain and in the midst of the disappointment and in the midst of the unknown. So you're gonna love our interview today. Okay, friends, last week, if you listened to the show with Aaron and I, Aaron's my husband, which if you didn't listen, a couple of things. Number one, we think we're so funny we're together. I hope you think we're funny as well. But number two, we talked about the year 2018 in review, and we talked about some of the highs and lows from our work life and personal life and family life. But one of the things we also did is we looked forward to 2019. I know you're all doing that, but one of the ways that we look forward to is we told you guys about something that we launched called Patreon. It officially launched last week on the podcast. And Patreon is this platform that provides more ways to connect with you. So it's an online membership community where we, as the happy hour, we provide more ways that we can interact with you, more content for you guys. And it's just, honestly, it's going to be a lot of fun for us. We are so excited about it. And you guys showed that you were excited about it last week. So there's two different levels that we're offering for you guys. There's the party guest level and the VIP guest level. Being a party guest, it gets you access to our monthly focus series with topics that you are gonna help us select. So we're kicking off this series with January, February, and March. You will get an extra episode a month talking about dreams and goals. I'll have guests on me. Basically, we're gonna give you an extra podcast every single month. And then as a VIP guest, you get that, plus you get a different version of our happy hour that we release every week. Three additional monthly shows, including this live video gathering that Aaron and I are gonna do together, plus some extra shows with friends. You're gonna get early access to buy tickets. It's a lot of fun. I could tell you all about it here, but go check it out. Go to jamieivy.com slash Patreon, and you can see what the different levels get you. Now, in case you're wondering, if you decide not to do this, that's fine. It's awesome, you guys. I would not worry one bit about it, but I want you to know if you don't do it, you'll still get the show every single week, just like you get it now. The only thing is, if you decide to do it, you'll get extra shows. And so that's what we're doing. We want to find more ways to connect with you. So I'm excited about it. Go check it out. Even if you have questions, it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to have some super fun things coming already for you in the month of January. Okay, guys, here is my conversation with Lisa Turkhurst. 
Hey, Lisa, welcome to the happy hour. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here with you. I am honored that you're here. (laughs) Okay, so you have been doing ministry for how many years? A very long time. I always do you know, know how many? I do because my oldest daughter, Hope, was in an infant carrier when I went to my first meeting and she is now 24, almost 25. So 25 years. Yes. I mean, give or take a few months. Yeah. Crazy. That is so crazy. Uh-huh. It's super encouraging for someone like me who's been doing this job for like five years. It's like a baby. <laughs> I'm like... Lisa, can we just stay after and just give me all your words of wisdom? But ministry for 25 years is no joke. And I'm sure that you have seen the good and the bad and the ugly and the awesome and scary Mm -hmm. and the, I'm done with this. I want to do something else. Yeah, 25 years gives you an opportunity to walk through a lot of seasons. And um, And here's an interesting fact. You will like this. When I first helped start Proverbs 31, uh, which started out as a little newsletter called the Proverbs 31 Homemaker, which is so not me, Um, but that was someone else's idea. And I uh, was asked to join along and I said, great, but I will never say anything or write anything. Um, And at that point, I'm not sure I was even a Christian. So there you go. So what were you gonna do to help? Marketing. Okay. Yes, I, I, that's, that was my career uh, path before I had my first baby. And then um, when she was born, I thought of for about a hot month that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom full-time. And, um, and then I quickly realized I loved being a mom, but I also needed a creative outlet. And so I... Um, joined on with my friend. And then there we have it. The rest is history. So when people say, um, Lisa, what's a story of someone whose life was dramatically changed from your ministry? I'm the first one to raise like my hand. Me. And you'll be relieved to know I am a Christian now. So that's Well, good. I want to hear when you said that, that was like a little <laughs> bomb you dropped on us. When you were like, I don't even know if I was a Christian. What does that, what does that even mean? What do you look well, back and because see in that time? I, I knew about... Um, Uh, having a religion. Like I knew about God as like, you follow the rules, you do the right thing. But I also felt like you kind of had to make deals with God. Like if you did all the right things, then he would give you good things back. So it was kind of like a vending machine. Yeah. Um, But it definitely was not a relationship. And I did not understand what it really means to trust God. And um, and so when I would walk through hard times, I would uh, back off from God at best and walk away completely at times at worst. So I, um, yeah, so, you know, I just didn't understand what it really means to have a relationship with God. And that took a long time. Yeah, I kind of have a similar story. I grew up in church. And so I knew all the rules. Mm-hmm. Like I knew what I was supposed to do and I knew what I wasn't supposed to do. Uh, and I grew up Southern Baptist. And so the two big things I wasn't supposed to do was have sex and drink alcohol. You know, there's like anything else, like we're gonna look past it, you know, have a, <laughs> have a lying heart and jealousy. But I was like you, I, I made deals with God all the time. Mine more looked like, dear God, if I wake up in the morning... I'll love you. And if this doesn't ever happen again, but I get that. But that's so interesting. I've never heard that story about how you started. Yeah. Yeah. So there you have it. And then when did you move from marketing to writing and speaking? Well, a couple of years into this little newsletter that we had, um, my friend who had the original thought of it all, uh, her husband lost his job. They moved out of town 
and um, he was transferring to a different place. And so she um, basically turned it over to me. And then we uh, went from there. I changed the name at that point to Proverbs 31 Ministries. We incorporated as a nonprofit and the rest is history. You dropped that homemaker stuff. Yes. And it's, I, I love the word homemaker. I don't mean that in a bad way. That sounded really rude what I said, but yeah. yes. Well, and I lo- I'm so thankful that some people have that gift set. And I guess in some ways, I, you know, I do, but um, in a lot of ways I don't. It yeah. just didn't fully, it didn't fully fit the vision of where I felt like at that point the ministry needed to go because by then I really had a passion to help other people who maybe were in that same spot that I was in, um, who had a religion, but not understanding how to really have a walk with the Lord. Um, and so, yeah, I, I changed it and the trajectory of the ministry changed dramatically. I love that. And then you've been doing that for this many years. How many books have you released now? It's funny, my daughter and I were talking about it on the way over here today. I know it's over 20. It may be, she thought 22. It may be 24. I don't know. It's it's over 20. As someone who's released one book, that makes me giggle that you're like, I don't know, maybe 20, maybe 22. Like the years and the stuff that you put in that. Do you remember which book is, well, this may lead us to our conversation today. I was going to ask you, do you remember which book has been the hardest to write? For sure. This one. This one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. By far. Okay. So let's talk about this book. I told you before we started recording that I read uh, your book this week and I mean, I loved it. And my, my thought was, I feel like a lot of people, if they, if they, if they know Lisa, if they've seen parts of your story, if they've know where this book came from, I feel like they might pick it up and think, oh, this is going to be about marriage. Mm -hmm. Like this is going to be trust in marriage, how, I don't know, how to work through your marriage. That's what I feel like people might think. But I'm here to tell you that this book is for anybody who has walked through disappointment. And I know that's your heart because it's in here. Uh, But I felt when I was reading this book, there were so many things in my own personal life that I was thinking, God, this is good. This is good. And so you wrote this in a season of walking through it, Mm -hmm. which I want to talk about that, Lisa, because I always am like, listen, there's things I'm going through now. You'll hear about them in a few years. Yes. You wrote this. And if I'm correct, you actually, you penned this book in the midst. Like this is real time. It's real time. As you walk through the book, when you get surprised by something, um, you can know I was sharing in that sense of shock and surprise. And some things are delightful and some things are devastating all over. But the reader is experiencing the book like I experienced the living of this message. Which I think there's something, I mean, I think that must have been hard for you. I'm sure it was. But I think as a reader, I could feel that from you. It didn't feel as though you had to, you know, sometimes you have to go back and mm-hmm. get into an emotion to read it. It felt as though it was in that moment that you were writing that. It definitely was in the moment. And what's unique about that is, and and, and I'll be honest, Jamie, I really wrestled with doing that because all of my other books have come from experiences that then I have, I learn all these life lessons and then I think I can help other people. And so looking back, I, I'm always sensitive to let the real feelings of the situation, even the most messy feelings emerge so that the reader can have an authentic experience. But with this message, I decided to write it in the messy middle because honestly, that's where most of us live, Mm -hmm. especially with a topic like disappointment. 
we are all either currently trying to heal from some big disappointment, we're dealing with a disappointment or we're headed to a disappointment. I mean, that's just the way life is. And you can say, well, that's not very positive. No, I'm real positive. That's sort of the situation. <laughs> this is how it's going to happen, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, um, yeah, so I, I elected to write this one from that messy middle place. Which can, I think, bring a lot of hope because like you said, we're all in that. And, you know, I thought also what I really loved is the word of disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think of like, oh, we are all either in suffering or we're out of suffering or we're going into suffering. But I have my my idea, this has changed a little bit just from hearing you talk so much about the word disappointment mm-hmm. because that was new for me. Not new, I understand disappointment. Do you know what I'm saying? Like to talk but about like dealing suffering. with disappointment yes. or even talking about it in the Christian community. Cause you know, I think a lot of us as Christians, we're told over and over, be joyful, be thankful, pray more. And I, I do agree, we need to be joyful and prayerful and um, and thankful, all of that. I, I agree with all of that. But I also think that we need to create a safe space within our Christian communities to talk about disappointment because we're all experiencing it every single day. And, you know, if the enemy can isolate us, he can influence us. And the minute we start to get real isolated in our disappointments is the minute that we can start justifying behaviors that we never thought we would justify. Mm. Or even... um start to numb the pain that we feel instead of dealing with the pain, which will lead to healing with the pain. It's so much easier when you get isolated to justify numbing the pain. And so I recognize all of those tendencies in myself, the tendency to isolate, the tendency to numb, the tendency not to deal with my disappointments, the tendency not even to admit that disappointments exist, right? Right. All in the name of spiritual maturity. But the reality is every time we have an experience with something that doesn't line up with our expectation, that is the fertile ground. The distance between those two is the fertile ground where disappointments grow wild and free. And we've got to talk about it. Okay, so you talked about it in your book and we're reading it now two years later. What did that look like in real time with you in your life? Like, what did that look like for someone who is in the middle of a disappointment right now? Mm -hmm. And they are feeling like, I want to isolate because I think that we want that. Like we think that's going to feel better, right? I right. want to be alone. But what? how did you fight to not isolate in the midst of this? Well, there's a chapter um, in the book um, where I am very vulnerable about how the experiences I was going through with my husband. Um, and for those of you who don't know my story, uh, I was in January of 2016 the Lord started stirring up something in my heart that I was gonna find out some information. It was gonna be very hard on me. And so I remember writing in my journal one morning that the Lord was encouraging me, trust my timing and love your husband. And I had no idea why I was writing those words, but I was like, okay, sure, absolutely. I love my husband. I've always loved my husband and I will absolutely trust your timing, Lord. Kind of flippant. And then three weeks later, I found out that my husband was having an affair. And so 2016 was a year of extreme highs and extreme lows. The lows, of course, what I was walking through in my marriage, but the highs, three of our five kids were getting married that year. And so his timing- the thing of trust my timing. Exactly. This does not seem good. So his timing almost felt cruel to me. Yeah. And, um, but a lot of times when we go through suffering and we go through an epic disappointment, 
um, it can start to feel so chaotic, the circumstances around us that we can't really hear clearly from the Lord. That's why it was so crucial for me to keep turning back to those pages in my journal. And I'm not a big journaler, but I'm telling you, it was so important that I had recorded those last words I clearly heard from the Lord so that when I couldn't hear from Him today, I could go back to those words and just be reminded of that. But there's a chapter in the Bible. I mean, uh, there's a chapter in my book that uh, I talk about all of this stuff I was walking through brought up so much fear in my heart. And so one day I decided I cannot isolate with this fear because the more I do, it just ratchets up my anxiety and I'm never gonna survive this. I've got to do something today, do an activity today to conquer some small fear in a tangible way. So I drove to Target and I bought a two-piece bathing suit. (laughs) And I have to tell you, a two-piece bathing suit does not line up with my biology. I'm not even sure if it lines up with my theology, to be honest with you. But um, as I was driving home that day, I popped the tags off so I couldn't return it. And I went in the quietness of my room and I asked the Lord um, to give me the courage to not just put the bathing suit on, but what was even more scary to turn and face the mirror. Mm. And so I remember um, I did put the two-piece bathing suit on and that's when all the voices of all the critics started to attack me. And um, one by one, I had to say what popped in my head as the critic's voice. And then I had to verbalize what I knew God was also speaking over me. And um, it was a profound experience as I stood there and intentionally let all those hard words leak out so that God could create a space for his truth to become prevalent. And um, it took a while, but when the last of the critic's voices, I couldn't think of any other critic critic's voice to speak over me in that moment, I finally turned toward the mirror. And I stood there and my age was evident. Um, The scar from the surgery I'd had ran all the way down my middle. It was almost like an exclamation point, uh, just with that dot at the end, just saying, man, life is really hard sometimes. But you know what, Jamie, I stood there and looked in the mirror and I didn't die. I did not die. And it was a profound moment. And then I felt so courageous. I thought, well, I'm just going to prance on outside. But thank goodness Jesus did take the wheel in that moment. It was like, no, some experiences are just this between is good, you and just God. just between me and you, yeah. Yeah, but um, that's an example of not isolating in my thoughts and letting the Lord um, address those. Mm. But then there were also moments where I had to go on a pilgrimage in this journey too. Um, and I am not usually this way but I made a list of friends that I knew I needed to go stand on their faith when my faith was getting shaky. And so um, I flew here, there, and everywhere and went and stayed with friends a night, two nights, and then went to another friend's house because I knew these people um, would speak truth and life over me and I needed to hear their words. You know, that brings up a question that I think a lot of people have often when you talk about the friends that you had to stand on their faith, because that is, it is so true and that we need that sometimes. 
Um, and what a gracious God to give us people in our life that are like that. In those moments when you're going and you're 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 staying with your friends and because you need them to tell you what is true, you know, a lot of people ask, what do I, how do I be a friend in the situation? And we'll talk specifically about what you were walking through with your marriage, even though I, I want to talk also, you've had some, just a lot of stuff in two years. But when you're walking through seasons of difficulties in your marriage, which we all will to different extenses, you know, what did you need from those friends? Like, what what did you need and what did you not need? Because I think that's what we want to know as friends. What do I say? Mm-hmm. What do I do? Mm-hmm. How do I react to this? Mm-hmm. So when your situation, what did you need and what did you not need? Well, let's start with what I didn't need. Okay. I didn't need them dissecting my relationship with my husband and why this happened. And there were some people that You mean, did here's that. why we think this went down? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, Lisa, you travel a lot. Okay. You mm-hmm. know, that kind of Thank thing. Thank you, right. Uh-huh. And, um, or, you know, Lisa, uh, sometimes um, you can be opinionated. Well, of course. I mean, if, if you're a woman, you're going to have opinions about life, right? It doesn't justify that. And of course, I mean, I have a career, so of course I travel. You know what I mean? But um, those friends who were eager to figure out why this happened created so much more pain for me because it wasn't that I was in denial. Were there things that I could have done better, different, whatever? Yes, all of those are hyper-present inside my brain in those moments of devastation. You didn't need someone to I, That's not that at all what I needed. Right. And um, and so those those conversations were hard. And those were friendships that I had to back away from. Thankfully, there were only a couple of those. Um, So that's what I didn't need. And honestly, nobody really knew why this happened. So those conversations weren't helpful. What I did need is for a friend just to sit with me and to say, what do you need right now, Lise? Do you just need to get it all out? Share with me anything you want to share with me. And there is absolutely no judgment And I remember so many conversations where I would share some detail of what I discovered that I was so heartbroken and mortified by and devastated beyond what I could. I could hardly get some of the words out. And I will never forget so many of my friends said, wow, Lise, that same thing has happened to me, different Mm. circumstance, but man, I've had that feeling. I've asked God those questions. I've sat in the middle of really hard situations, Lise, and and wondered those same thoughts. I mean, when a friend did that and made me feel less crazy, less alone, less different, um, boy, it was such a gift. I mean, it goes back to why you said you wanted to write this in the mid- in the messy middle. Yes. I'm just saying, hey, to the reader or anyone listening, you're not alone and you're not weird and you're not the only one mm-hmm. that's struggling, disappointed, or even questioning what God's doing. Yes. Um, that's why you did this. And that's yes. what that friend did for you. Yes. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Okay. So let's talk about the story a little bit. So you, um, whatever, however much you want to talk about, like, so you, just so people get an idea of what we're dealing with here, if you're two years, because it's not just two years of disappointment in your marriage, you also walked through some really difficult medical stuff. Yes. So we're adding all of this on top of it. And Lisa, it looks like worst two years of your life. Yes, they were Hands by down. far. 
Yeah, yeah. Hands down. So I remember something my counselor said, um, I think it's actually a title of a book, but it's called The Body Will Keep the Score. And I remember my it counselor- It is, have you read it? I have not. It's high on my list. I haven't read it either, but I get a lot of people talk to me about it. Yeah, so, so my counselor mentioned that statement to me. And, um, and I remember thinking, you know, I'm doing everything I can to process it, but the story was unfolding at such a rapid pace. It's like, I almost couldn't catch my breath before another wave of tragedy would take me under. And so it was, it was a lot. It was a lot of emotion, a lot of pain. And I remember telling some of my friends, I feel like my insides are twisting up. I I just, I feel like, um, something inside of me is, is broken. And, um, I was experiencing some physical pain, but you know, when you're in emotional turmoil, a lot of times you just kind of brush off dealing with anything except the present issue at hand. But one Monday morning, I woke up in June of 2016. So the discovery of what was going on in my marriage happened in February. Then in June of 2016, I woke up, I stood up out of bed. I was in excruciating pain and my legs wouldn't support my body. I collapsed to the floor. My family rushed me to the hospital. They started running tests. They couldn't find anything that was wrong with me. But because I was in so much pain, they went ahead and admitted me to the hospital. They kept running tests and they hooked me up finally to a morphine pump because the pain was so intense. It didn't even take the edge off the pain. It was just excruciating. And I remember laying there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning. And I remember getting a really wacky view of God because I started thinking, God, everything is possible for you. And if one of my children were in this much pain, I would do everything possible to take away the pain. I cannot understand why you won't. I I don't understand how you could see me laying here like this and not help me. And it it was disillusioning on the deepest of levels. And then a surgeon came in my room Friday afternoon and said, Lisa, we finally ran one last test and we figured out what's happening to you. The right side of your colon has ripped away from the abdominal wall, wrapped around the left side and cut the blood flow off inside of you. And um, we have to rush you into emergency surgery and we're gonna have to remove most of your colon. And, And then he said, Lisa, I know you've been in so much pain, but I'm thankful that that pain was there because if the pain wouldn't have been there, we wouldn't have kept you here at the hospital. And if we wouldn't have kept you here at the hospital, we wouldn't have kept running tests. And if we wouldn't have kept running tests, we would have never have discovered what was the source of this real issue. And you would have gone to sleep one night, your colon would have ruptured and you would have died. And so when he walked out of the room, it suddenly occurred to me, God was not being far removed, distant, cold, or calloused in that situation. God loved me too much to answer my prayers at any other time than the right time and in any other way than the right way. Had God taken away my pain like I was asking him to, I would have surely died. Yeah, that I read that in your book and the tears started coming to my eyes because as anyone else listening or reading, they're gonna think of moments in their own life where they have begged God, please take Mm -hmm. this away or please do this. And although you got to see a very physical, tangible way of, the pain not going in and actually saving your life. There are sometimes in our life, we don't ever see why, but one day, you know, we trust that God is good mm-hmm. and that his plans are bigger and better. And that's not just like this Christianese word. Like we really do believe that, right? That God, you're in this somehow. Um, but I think a lot of people are in that 
hospital bed like you, but they're walking through their life and they're begging God, take this, has to, this you have to take this away. Yes. You have to take this away. Yeah, I mean, and it can be emotional pain too, or it could be yeah, a that's disappointment. What I mean. yeah. yeah, you know, it could be a disappointment that you see God answering these prayers that you've prayed for everyone around you, but He's not answering your prayer right. in the way or in the timing that you think. And so, when when you're in a situation like that, when God's promises start to seem doubtful, His lack of intervention hurtful, and His timing questionable, it can really mess you up. And so as I wrote that story in my book, my prayer is that um, people could let that truth sink deep inside of them so it could become a message, maybe even an anthem that they could repeat over and over and over in the messy middle of their own situations before they know how it's gonna turn out, which could increase their trust in God. God loves me too much to answer my prayer at any other time than the right time and in any other way than the right way. And um, here's the complicated thing, Jamie. We do serve a good God, but we serve a good God who does allow hurt sometimes. And right there in the crux of those two statements, that is where sometimes our feeling and our faith come in conflict. It's so true because you think to yourself, why would a God that loves me let this happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that our, where we have our faith has to come in and question that and come to the end of the day and say, be able to say, I believe God is good, mm-hmm. even in the midst of this. Yeah. And you see that wrestling all the way until almost the last pages of, of the book. And um, right at the end of the book, I wrote an allegory where I talk about how God made me in such a way, I will always be the asker of the why questions. I will always ask all those why questions. And it's not wrong for me to ask those why questions. I think a lot of people feel guilty when they say, why me? Why this? Why now? Why God? And and maybe in some Christian circles, you've been shut down. Like, don't ask why. Maybe I've even taught that before. I don't know. Um, but what God's shown me is it's not wrong to ask why. But we have to trust if God doesn't give us those answers, it's because it would be too heavy of a burden for us to carry. He can handle the why, and he can certainly handle the what and the how and the timing of it all. And that's where trust comes. In your book, you write a lot of things to help readers with, hey, here's a truth that you can hang on to. Here's something that you can say. Here's scripture. I love that you did that. Is that when, when you as a why questioner, you know, you said, I'm going to be the why, I'm going to be the asker. Um, is that how you get to the other side of trusting God? Even if those whys don't get answered, you have these like quote unquote mantras and, and scripture. And this is what I'm going to repeat to myself mm-hmm. to make my heart believe even when my questions aren't answered. Is yes. that what you do? It is what I do. And I think part of that is, you know, if you've ever heard the term um, faith building, because each one of those things has built another set of strength, I guess, muscles inside of my faith. And so I want to keep exercising those because those are really important lessons. They're precious lessons that God's given me. And, um, and they help me. They really help me because they were birthed not from a laboratory or a library, but they were, born, they were really birthed inside of the 
messiest moments of everyday life. So it's not, these aren't just like little cliche statements that look good on bumper stickers and t-shirts, but um, they don't just preach well, they live well. And so they've helped me and I know they'll help other people. It's good. I always say it's good to, to, um, to, to get this foundation of these, these truths so that when the disappointment, when the hurt comes, you, there's this ground, the solid ground that you have to stand on. Um, I know some people will be wondering as they listen, like, okay, Lisa, you have been walking through this hard time in your marriage and you decided to stay. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to stay and decide to fight it out? Such a complicated, intricate question, you know? And I think even before I answer this question, I should probably say and acknowledge that there's someone listening who's going through the same thing. And um, I just want to speak straight to your heart right now that I want you to remember redemption and reconciliation don't necessarily hold hands. So God had to teach me in this journey that I've been through. And Jamie, this has been a three-year journey. So there were moments, there were seasons, there were months, and I do mean long months, where I did not think reconciliation would be possible. So God started to show me that redemption is mine for the choosing with God. Reconciliation is completely dependent on another person's choices, another person being willing to humble themselves and do the hard work and to come back. Um, I may or may not ever get reconciliation, but redemption, that's not based on his choices or someone else's choices. Redemption's based on my choices. And I can I can choose to have redemption with God today. Mm-hmm. So no matter where you're at in your hard season, the most frustrating thing that you will ever feel is if you can't get to redemption because of someone else's choices. And I want to free you from that today. It's not someone else's choice. It's not someone else's choice. Reconciliation is dependent on two people's choices, but redemption is between you and God. So I think that's That's really important. But um, yes, I decided to stay. There was also a season where reconciliation didn't seem possible and I had made the decision to leave. So I know what both sides of that coin looks like. Um, and when I decided to leave, it was after 18 months where I thought we were about to renew our vows. And then I had to sit my husband down and say to him, um, I know that things aren't the way that you've presented in counseling. I love you and I can forgive you, but I will not share you. Mm -hmm. And it was over at that point. My husband had also been struggling though with some substance abuse issues. And the day after we sat down and had that conversation and I posted a blog um, about what I was going through because um, the story was going to be told either through the rumor mill or I was going to get out in front and tell it with truth. But the day after that conversation and posting the blog, um, he went and checked himself into a place that could really help him. And that's where on his side of the street, he started to do real work. And I did work on my side of the street and I wasn't sure if we would ever walk where the street would come together into a simultaneous path together. But much to my surprise and honestly delight, um, I've been offered his hand again. And yes, I've decided to take it. For me, it's never been a situation where I didn't love my husband. 
Um, that was never our situation. And honestly, as crazy as it sounds, it's never been his situation that he didn't love me. Um, he just got lost along the way. And I told somebody, I felt from the very beginning, like my husband's soul had been hijacked and that I wanted to do everything possible to get my marriage back and to keep my family together. But I also recognize that I'm just his wife. I can't be a savior. And so the letting go of that desire to be his savior, I think was the very thing that freed me Mm. to be able to be an even better wife than I'd ever been before. And so, yes, I've decided to stay. Does everyone agree with that? People who are very close to us, they not only agree with it, but they celebrate it. Um, People who, uh, some family members who didn't walk every step of this journey with me and who haven't experienced um, the humility and the healing that Art has walked through, they don't understand this decision. And so um, while I'm celebrating this, I'm also grieving um, that, it's cost us a lot. And um, tragically, it's cost us some precious relationships. But even then, I mean, I saw Art come back and maybe I'll see them come back too. When you say he asked for my hand again, did he literally say, Lisa, will you marry me again? Yes. I've never told this story. I'm gonna cry. Yes. (laughs) So it was July 4th and we were sitting out by the pool. He asked if he could bring me lunch. And just, in clear, just to clarify for the listener, you guys have not been living in the same home. That's right. Okay, we ahead. have not been living in the same home for over two years. And uh, so he came over um, and brought me lunch and we were sitting out by the pool. And all of a sudden, uh, one of our granddaughters walks into the backyard with this poster and had all these like colorful things she had colored. Now she's like three. So, you know, it looked like a three-year-old's yeah, poster. Right. But in big letters, it said, Gigi, will you marry my pops? <laughs> and I think it said, Gigi, will you marry my pops again? And um, then all of a sudden, all of our kids started filing into the backyard and he got down on one knee and um, he acknowledged how hard the places that we've been this past three years, how hard those places and and how dark those places were. But he also acknowledged that he could see the most beautiful future with me. And um, he asked, you know, Lisa, you know, will you spend the rest of your life with me? And um, I said, yes. You said, yes. I'm so crying over here. This is so... (laughs) Um, beautiful. And it, you know, you mentioned all your kids came out. You guys have five kids. Yes. How many grandkids? Two or three? Three. three. Yes. You have the new one. Um, how has this been? I mean, cause you know, the, the, the question everyone's thinking now is you've walked through this a publicly within the last, I don't know, seven year, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah now, a year and a half. Okay. Publicly a year and a half. You released a book, which is, um, about disappointments, but it brings in a lot of your story that you've walked through that you've told today. And and you have five grown children. Um, what has that been like for the Turkers family? Like, what has it been to walk through this? Not only publicly, but just be grown kids walking through this. Like kids that are your best friends that are having to watch their parents struggle through some hard things. 
It's been at times the very worst of the worst situations because I feared that this would dismantle the legacy that my husband and I had built into our kids. Um, years of hard work. I, I would lay in bed at night and just picture years of conversations and years of safety that we provided for our kids and years of kneeling beside their beds at night, assuring them, you know, you don't ever have to worry about your mommy and daddy splitting up. Like that is a gift we can give you. And um, I, I would lay in bed at night just weeping because I felt like all of that was being shredded and dismantled and uh, torn apart. Especially when my kids, three of them were entering into their own marriages and being in such those those fragile early years of marriage where marriage is blissful, but you discover marriage is hard too, right? And so there was so much about this that I would have given my right arm to protect my kids from it. And I remember just praying one night and just saying, God, it's one thing that you've allowed this into my life, but I can't stand that you have allowed it into my kid's life. And that's where I'm having a real hard time with this. And um, I remember just this little statement popped into my head, Lisa, I haven't cursed you with this. I've entrusted you with this. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the beginning of a mindset shift for me that yes, the facts of what we were going through were awful and terrible for my kids to watch, but they also had the opportunity to watch what it means for someone to cling to God in the midst of their darkest hours, which is something that they will need at some point in their life. I pray their circumstances aren't the same as mine, but we all go through hard times. They also have had the opportunity to watch the messiest of situations in relationships and um, process when it's done right and when it's done not so right. They've, they've seen me at times walk through issues just with like a glow about me, but then they've also seen me barely able to crawl into the next day. But at the end of the day, they have seen it all done while being committed to clinging to God. Mm-hmm. Even if it's the tiniest last thread <laughs> that I'm holding on to, they've seen that. And here's something that's really interesting. Um, the day that the book released, we had an event that we streamed online. So I spoke a little bit. I had a conversation with my counselor. And um, then after the conversation with the counselor, we did you know a little bit about the book and then the live stream cut off. And uh, there were 400 people in the audience. So what the big worldwide web didn't get to see is when the cameras were cut, I invited Art up on stage and uh, in front of our closest friends, family, but certainly all of our kids were right there on the front row. And um, and he he agreed, he wanted to do this. I did a Q&A with Art. And the very first question, I just leaned over and said, what happened? And my kids, they got to, they got to see what it really means for God to take someone from the pit of hell to that glorious moment of turning back 
and doing the right thing, even in the midst of so much wrong that was done. They saw humility. They saw two humans being so very human. And it was so sweet and it was so good. And I remember driving home that night and thinking, if it was all just so my kids could see that God still works miracles today, I would have never been brave enough to choose this, but I would choose it all over again. Because in the end, it has strengthened their faith. It hasn't torn it apart. Which comes from the foundation that you guys have instilled in them. You know, I mean, in those fearful moments when you thought, God, is everything we've ever said, is it all going to fall apart? To see him be faithful with what you put into them, that it, it, it was truth that you were instilling in them. I always think, I always like to encourage people with is that, you know, when, when God allowed this to happen and we believe that God is sovereign and before the, you know, before he created the world, he knew everything that was happened. He didn't forget that Lisa had five kids. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, I did, I forgot that she was gonna have these kids mm-hmm. in this time. Um, but God knew that. That's and that right. He's using this in his life. I mean, in your five kids' life as well. That's right. Um, it's been a lot of instilling in them truth over the years. And then a lot of therapy as mm. we walk through this. Yeah. I didn't just try to pray enough or um, do enough for them. You know, I got them into places where they could heal um, emotionally um, as well as continue to develop spiritually. So I think that was important too. And, um, you know, a lot of people have said to me, um, Lisa, I bet a lot of this has happened to you because you're in ministry. And boy, that's really, really hard that you've had to walk through all of this because you're in ministry. And I remember one time when someone said that to me recently, I kind of tilted my head and I said, I think you're looking at it wrong. I think before the beginning of time, God knew what was gonna happen to me. So he placed me in ministry all those years ago because he's such a good, gracious God. And I feel that way about my five kids too. You know, God knew who they would be and what they would need and and their unique ability to withstand whatever needed to be withstood in their life. And so, you know, I think God has it all under control so much more than what we know. And yes, will going through a situation like this create damage for others around you, including children that are involved, 100%. I I wish with all my heart that my kids didn't have to see some of this messiness. I, I, I wish with all my heart that I could go back and rewind the clock and change some things. I do, but that's not possible. So what is possible is to walk forward today, very much acknowledging what we've been through, but determined to make something good from it. And Jamie, I promise you, I think the devil messed with the wrong family this time. I love it. I love everything about it because you, what I was thinking when you were talking about that, I was like, man, there are people who are listening. Like you said, when you spoke to that woman earlier, there are people listening, but you have been through both sides. And so you're not just speaking as someone who's like, oh, everything's turned out great, guys. It's all good. But you're saying, in the midst of all of this, 
when it wasn't going to keep going before July 4th of last year, when I said I wanted, this is not going to work. I cannot do this if you're not willing to work. In this of all of that, the same truths that you're standing on never changed. That's right. They never changed. Truth was the only thing that didn't change. Um, You know, the circumstances changed, perspectives changed, realities changed. And, you know, I'm honest at the very end of the book. I mean, you know, by the time I wrote the last chapter, I didn't know how the story was going to turn out. I mean, it still is a big question mark. You close the last chapter and it's like, wait, you know. Wait, 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 this can't be over. (laughs) Did she stay with art or not? Um, So at the very end, right before the book went to print, I wrote an epilogue. And, And I say, I'm very honest in the epilogue, I want this second chance to be girded with guarantees. I don't want to get hurt again. Am I afraid? of the possibilities of getting hurt again? A hundred percent, absolutely. But trust is built time plus believable behavior. And there has been a lot of believable behavior. And I've let enough time pass by now where I think we've healed apart and now it's time for Art and I to come together and heal together. And I think it's good. And... um You know, one of the last things Art said in that interview where I was talking to him um, the night of the book release, I loved this. He said, the blessing to him of everybody in the world knowing, there's a lot of hard parts to that, but the blessing is he can walk in a room and already know, everybody knows. So he can walk in and he no longer feels like he has to navigate figuring out who knows what. He can just walk in and make the decision, I am not the villain in this story, nor am I the victim of things happened to me that led me to make some of the choices that I made. I am a redeemed man of victory. So now let's have a conversation. That is the best. We should all walk into a room and say that same thing, right? I'm not who I used to be. I'm not a result of the choices. I'm a redeemed daughter of God. So what would you like to eat? Yep. Can I pour you a drink? Can we break bread? Can we break bread together? <laughs> so, I mean, in all seriousness, when you wrote this book and you didn't know how it was going to go, Art, did he give you your ble- the blessing to write the book or were you writing this kind of not knowing what was going to happen? I wrote the book not knowing what was going to happen, but I was also very committed that um, he would have the opportunity to read every word of this book and make any changes. Because it's involved. I mean, even though it's disappointments yes. and you're, it's you, it also involves another person. It does. Yeah. And and I pray one day he gets to share his story. So I was careful not to focus on the facts of his story, but rather on the emotional fallout for my story. Yeah. yeah. You know, my part of it, this was the turmoil that I was walking through being um, in the position that I was in. And so, um, and, and also I didn't want the book to be an expose of like the Turkish marriage falling apart and the scandal contained within. You know, I didn't want that because my purpose in writing it was not to satisfy people's curiosity. Curiosity has a terrible appetite. People consume things for curiosity's sake and then they walk away and they think more about the story that they just read, right. but they miss the life lessons that apply to them in their current situation. And so I didn't want to write an expose. I didn't want to write a memoir. I think memoirs are beautiful and exposés, you know, God bless you if, if you have one. But I, that's not what I wanted. I wanted 
to let the story be the backdrop of the book, but to let the shared experience of being utterly human in a broken world, standing completely exposed with the most awful of situations before me. Is it possible in the worst of the worst situations to still have faith in God and to discover inside of yourself an unexpected strength where you don't rally more of your own strength, but you really learn to rely on God's strength. Is that even possible? Mm-hmm. So those are the lessons that I hope people walk away with. And, and of course, relating to my story, I don't think people will be able to say, man, you know, that book, it's, it has some stuff in there for some people who've been through things, but Lisa doesn't understand the depth of my pain. I don't think anybody will be able to say that, even if your circumstances are different. I agree. That's um, that's what I told you in the beginning is that this book is not going to answer questions about your marriage. It is going to meet everybody in the midst of the disappointment that they're either living in or they've been through in very, very um, helpful ways that we can stand on the truth and find that strength to get through that. So great job, Lisa. Thank I'm like you. younger sister proud of you. Way to go. <laughs> this is such a good book. Such a good book. Um, okay, so I always ask people, what they're loving and what they're reading. So what are you reading these days? Okay. So um, I have several things that I'm reading right now, but honestly, one of my favorites is the Nestor's book, The Cozy Minimalist, because I've been in this season of redecorating my house. And uh, so, yes, I love it. It's refreshing. It's so good. And she was on the happy hour in the fall and just, it was so fun to sit down with her and talk about why women don't like hospitality or decorating because they're scared, they have fear. So mm-hmm. love her. Yes, love yes. the book. And um, and another thing that I'm excited about is, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this. But oh, this we'll... is the best. I love exclusive. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> you are totally getting the exclusive. <laughs> I might get in trouble for this. But um, my publisher just let me know yesterday that the producers of the show, This Is Us, reached out and asked if um, my book, Uninvited, could make a little cameo appearance. And you said, wait, let me think about this. On the TV show. Uh, yes. <laughs> the publisher didn't even ask me. They immediately said yes and then informed and me. And they told you. <laughs> that is yes. the best. I know. It may just be laying on a coffee table. It doesn't matter. Or one of the characters may be reading it. Um, and who, we've- Do you watch the show? I do, but I have no idea. We've debated about- I was gonna say, who would you think would be reading it? I don't know. I can't figure it out. Everybody had a different opinion. Okay. <laughs> who do you think? I don't know. I'm way behind on the show. So am I. So we can catch up together. Yes, yes. And then we'll have another conversation. Okay, okay. That's really cool. <laughs> I love that that's happened. Okay, what else are you, what else are you loving and reading? Um, I'm also loving right now- um, I'm, I'm loving this season of my life. I really am. You know, um, I feel like it's been three years where I literally licked the floor of hell. And now I'm entering in a new season with new possibilities. And I think I'm giving myself permission to dream again. I'm not in survival mode like I was. And so I think I'm peeking over the horizon and looking at a new season of life. My five kids are grown. Um, I'm loving what God's doing with the ministry and I'm letting myself dream. Just 
dream. Speaking of dreaming, are you going to be, what does this like renew your vow thing look like? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're actually planning a ceremony and I wanted to wear jeans and a sweater, but my daughter, who's Miss Fashionista, bossed me around. She went on the internet. She ordered me a long dress. So I will actually be wearing a dress. I will actually be carrying flowers. And is this exciting uh, to you? It's very exciting. Okay. And where are y'all going to do this? At my home. Okay. I love it. Mm-hmm. And so I even got a welder to make this big metal hoop that we're going to cover in flowers. And to me, it'll be the perfect backdrop because it'll be such a full circle moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay. <laughs> you told me also that you're reading about the Enneagram. Do you yes. know your number? Okay. This is the crisis of the day. I hear you. I know. Because I've taken the test, even the like paid expensive okay, yeah. test, uh-huh. you know, and I test different things. So either I have some kind of hidden psychosis that we could unpack from a psychological standpoint for days, or maybe I'm becoming more and more like Jesus, who was That's all the, the numbers answer. balanced yes. out, right? Yeah. 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 No, I don't know. I don't know what my problem is. What do you test as? So I've tested as a nine, which okay. is a peacemaker. Uh-huh. I can totally see that in me, but I'm probably a little too driven to be uh-huh. a pure peacemaker. I've also tested as a three, but then the problem with the three is that with me being a three, I love threes, by the way. Yeah. There's no problem with being a three. But the problem with me diagnosing myself as a three, I guess, is I read this line that a three likes to get stuff done, but they don't care so much how it gets done. It's just they want it to get done. Well, that's not me at all. I am, I'm incredibly perfectionistic. Um, and I will edit In the mess every area of your life? Pretty much. Okay, okay. Pretty much. My I put husband's a, a three, so I know what a three thinks like. Yeah, so for me, I like to get a lot of stuff done. I am a finisher, but I'm also, extra, I, I like perfection. Yeah. I really do. And I push myself toward perfection, probably in unhealthy ways sometimes. So then that leans into being a one. So maybe I am a one, but then there's certain parts of a one that I'm like, I don't know. I know. And then a friend of mine is a six and I'm like, wow, I can see some six in me. Another friend is a five. I'm like, oh man, we're <laughs> like two. So you see, it's a crisis for it me It is right a crisis. I, I finally had to figure out what I was because when I released my book, every interview, they'd be like, well, what is your Enneagram number? And finally I was like, I don't know what my number is, but I'm going to go find out. <laughs> so what are you? I'm a six. Okay. I'm a six. See? Now I tested on the online paid thing as a two. Oh. I'm not a two at all. But I read somewhere that a lot of Christian women test as a two. Yes, yes. I've read that too. Yes. And so I read that, what about a two? And I'm like, that is not me. I'm, I've never tested two. I am not a two. <laughs> I, I I'm not I, I that wish nice I was more of a two. Yeah, I'm, no, I know. Me too. Yeah, yeah, but no. Yeah. So I'm a six. My husband's a three. Okay. And so our kids are younger than yours. We have 15 down to 11. And so I'm constantly trying to figure out what they are as well. So it's yes. just- it's fun. One thing that really helped me, this might help you, okay. is listening to um, specific podcasts like Suzanne Stabile has a great one. Yeah, Listening to her interview people that you think you might be, that was good for me. Because I would hear them say stuff and I'd go, 
I totally get that. I know. See, that's where my problem is. Because you get though. everybody? Because I get everybody. <laughs> I really do. I'm like, oh yeah, that that's part of that me. number is me. Right. But then I'm like, oh no, not that. Oh no, not that. So yeah, therapy so on the happy hour. Want Let's do it. The best of all the numbers. <laughs> I know. That's I know. my problem. Yeah. So what number wants the best of all the numbers? I don't know. But usually they say you know who you are by the worst of the number. Oh, great. So when you read the worst things about that number and you're like, oh, that's me. Usually that's how you can find out who you are. Yeah. Well, there you have it, people. A little therapy. Okay. Well, Lisa, thanks for coming on the happy hour. You're so welcome. It is so lovely. Thank you for sharing your story. I know it hasn't been easy. Thanks for coming out in the messy middle because it's where a lot of us are living. And so it's helpful just to hear truths and not only just see someone that's going to survive because in, in this show, you're like, oh, she's on the other side. But to hear someone who, in the midst of walking through it, was clinging to the only thing that would not fail her. That's right. The truth of God. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Okay, friends, I told you that you would like it. One of my favorite things that I get to tell you right now is you need to follow Lisa on Instagram because we talked about the wedding that her family was kind of planning and dreaming about. And at the end of 2018, Lisa and her husband renewed their vows. I cried when I saw it on Instagram because I had just sat down with her and talked with her about this. And then to see it come to life in photos, it was beautiful. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. If you are someone who was walking through one of these messy middle places like Lisa described, my hope is that you would find someone that would journey through this messy middle with you. Someone that is safe, someone that you can trust, and someone that's going to point you to the truth no matter what. Today's show is edited by Chris with Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Next week, my guest is Rachel Joy, and Rachel is the founder of Sparrow Conferences, which is one of my favorite conferences I attend every single year. We spent a lot of our time talking about reconciliation and what that has looked like in her world, how she has begun to walk through that, the challenges that she's navigated, and the things that God has done in her life because of her obedience to listen and to trust and to step out. Guys, enjoy your week. Happy 2019. Share the show with a girlfriend. Have a happy hour with a friend. And I will see you guys back here next week with my friend, Rachel Joy.